this it? Mayday. Is it? All right, hey everybody, it's Justin from Mayday. Welcome to the podcast. We are interviewing today Emmy-winning and nominated once again in 2019, Wendy Holland Martin, editor for The Handmaid's Tale. Wendy has not uh, interviewed with us before, so we're really excited to talk with her. Wendy, how are you doing tonight? Very well, thank you, Justin. Right, nice th- to be here. So I wanted to give a little bit of background on you, because I know that you, much like a lot of the staff and people that work on the show, are also from Canada. Is that correct? That's true, yes wanted to see, you know, what was your first exposure really to getting into editing? Uh, so I went down to see a friend's band uh, shooting a music video, um, which was really cool for me and just was so interested in what the director was doing and, you know, music videos were big in the 80s and I was like, wow, where, where do I go to school to do that? So I found a film school um, and applied and got in, and I just ended up in the editing room more than I did in any other facet of the studies and ended up cutting everybody's movies and really loved it. It was kind of like a perfect storm for me. I could put my love of music and imagery and put it together and and be able to play and and have the freedom and the creative sort of playground to explore experience it and to see if I was any good at it. Stayed late a lot of nights and loved it. My final year there was a placement program and I got put in a post-production house. Started as an assistant and worked my way up. And you definitely have had some success as you have you said. You know, it's one of these things I don't think editing gets enough credit and I don't know that I would have necessarily been so in tune to it but I was I want to say it was Roger Ebert. I don't remember, but someone, a critic, a movie critic, or someone writing about film one time, kind of said that it, directors and actors kind of get all the credit for how good or bad a movie is, credit or the blame. And whereas right. they say it's that editing of a movie and the way it flows can make or break a production. Is that something you agree with that you find to be true? Well, selfishly, I say yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but knowing, you know, knowing the business and. Yeah, I, I I have a lot of directors saying that, you know, an edit, a good editor can make a movie that wasn't going to be as good as it, it should have been better. You know, it, it really is about pace and it's about emotion and it's about where you want to be with the camera when. I mean, all those decisions are made in the cutting room, you know. They just get the goods from the top to the bottom and how it's put together is like a giant jigsaw puzzle. But when it goes together and you don't notice the edits and you're just in the emotion and, and the characters can take your way into another world, you know it's it's working. That's the magic of editing. When you look back, because I, I know growing up you're a big film buff and probably editing wasn't something that was necessarily on your radar to begin with. But once you started getting into it, did you look back at some of those films that had inspired you or that you looked back on in your uh, early career or childhood oh, yeah. coming up and look back and say, oh, I can kind of see what this you know role brings to it so talk about some of those films that maybe you look back on and we're like oh wow this is really well edited or you know that's something that inspired you for that yeah i mean there there's like the classics like raging bull and you know selma schumacher who's like one of my idols um it it just was and i didn't even really realize it at the time that it was the editing that made that film so phenomenal 
But looking back now, I can see what I saw in it, not knowing that I could actually vocalize what it was that, that just drew me to that film. And I just think she was such a master with storytelling. And that's really where, you know, someone said, and I can't remember who said it, but it was like, um, you know, a story is born in the writing room. It dies on the floor and is reborn in the editing room. And I think Raging Bull is a perfect example of that. It's just one of those films that's always stuck with me. And then you hit a movie like Memento, which is another incredibly edited film, and it's all backwards, and you can't quite figure it out. And there's moments of those kind of films along the way. And then, you know, like simple indie films that just hit you in the heart. It's not anything in the technique of the editing. It's just the choices that were made on the day. It just sits with you and lingers, and it's it's a film you keep thinking about for a long, long time. Being in the, an editor, do you find it hard to watch movies now? Yeah. As you've as you've gotten farther into your career, does it are you more choosy about the movies that you choose to watch for pleasure? It's funny because when I watch a, a huge blockbuster, I'll actually fall asleep if there is too much action. Sure. Because it just it's it just overpowers my senses, and I can't I can't even watch. And that's also just the nature of the business. I watch TV all day. Um, right. So when, you know, my husband says to me, oh, do you want to go see a movie? I'm like, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> my eyes are a little tired and whatever, you know, at the end of the day. So I do pick my movies very specifically. And I check it with friends because they know me so well. I'll say, do you think it's worth me going to the theater? Am I going to like this? I tend to be streaming a lot more of really good television lately mm. as opposed to going to the theater, which um, is just a, a, you know, creature comfort. Sure. As opposed to getting yeah. and going out. So <laughs> so what are some of those films that you've seen recently or have been recommended to you recently that you, that someone said, yes, I think you would really like this, that you also agreed after you saw it? Um, or TV for that matter, if you saw any good TV. Good TV. I, I love Fleabag. <laughs> oh, I I just watched the first season um, on the recommendation of one of our Facebook followers, and it was absolutely oh, yeah. hilarious. <laughs> I still have to watch the second season, but it's fantastic. Second season's even better, if you can believe it. Yeah, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is my hero. I think she's so genius. So. Yeah, yeah, she's she's amazing. I just actually wrapped up watching um, Killing Eve, the first season, <laughs> before I watched that. Oh, right. So. Which she wrote and show ran. Yeah, it's yeah, absolutely she's incredible. She's fantastic. So, let's get back into a little bit. Tell me what the process is like for you. So you're, you know, you they're shooting the show, and at what point do you get the footage that they decide? Okay, this is what we want you to edit down. Yeah, well, on Handmaid's Tale, for example, uh, they get um, they shoot two episodes at a time, and it's all out of order. You know, they'll pick the order of how the scenes are shot based on location and actor availability. So I get the dailies the very next day and I screen all of the dailies for my episode top to bottom. I work very closely with my co-editor, Chris Donaldson. So him and I sort of alternate episodes and then we have some relief pictures sort of come in, Aaron Marshall and Annie Yavari to take one or two episodes per season because 13 is a lot for two editors to deal with. So I get the dailies and basically we try to keep up with camera and just sort of keep in contact with the director and let them know things are looking good or maybe we need to pick up a close up here or it's very direct communication with set just to make sure they have everything they need. Technically it's okay and performances are good. Yeah, it seems like editor would be one of those roles where you almost have to be really adept at almost knowing all the other roles that are involved in the production. 
Yeah, I mean, to a certain degree. I, I think editing is almost more like writing in a sense. So as long as we're aware of what other people do and what's good, and it's it's more about, you know, what the end product is and what kind of story we're trying to tell. So that, that you know, helps with shot selection. We've got a, an ongoing uh, thing with uh, Elizabeth Moss where whenever she's sort of in a tormented state, we use the Lizzie lens, uh, one of our directors coined it, to 24 mil uh, lens and it just it just it puts you inside Alfred's head or June's head and it's so you know technically we have to know a few things just because another director will come in and say what's that what's that lens you use on uh, Lizzie for this moment or so we we don't we don't have to know too much but we just we do have to know what's coming up we read scripts in advance we have to know where the characters arcs are going what they're feeling at all times because that dictates a lot of how we put it together first let's talk about how you became involved in the show so i you are canadian having interviewed several uh, other production staff from canada uh, i go in assuming that you had read the book and knew of canadian national treasure <laughs> as bruce put it margaret atwood yeah i mean i read uh, hemi's tale in high school it was a book i always loved and I worked a lot in the past with Take Five, who are the exec producers for post-production on the show. And I had worked on a show called The Tudors, and Bruce Miller was a big fan of The Tudors. So when Take Five were asked to put people's names together, because I had worked with them in the past and I had pretty decent credits, they included my resume in the group of resumes that they put forward. And Bruce said he wanted to have an interview with me, so we had, you know, an on uh, just over the phone interview because he was in LA in the writing room, and uh, it was only meant to be a ten minute call, and we were on the phone for about forty minutes. So it was just a, it was a really cool interview. We just hit it off, and and Bruce is just one of these guys that's so nice, um, on top of being uber talented, <laughs> right? And so it just. It was just one of those, you know, good luck stories that uh, we hit it off and he just sort of said, okay, see you in Toronto. And that's how it happened. That's fantastic. And I know uh, you were mentioning some of your uh, help, your uh, your assistant editor, and you've got some, uh, you know, part-time players, as you as you said. Uh, I was reading an interview that you did where you were, like, very excited that they were coming in to help you out because it's obviously a lot. And I know talking to, we talked to Ann Crabtree and we just talked to Adam Taylor, actually, today. I was the composer for the show. And, oh, cool. And actually talking to them, they both reiterated the fact that the TV filming schedule is just crazy and that it's nonstop. And yeah. so talk about trying to lean on that help and what, what having a good team of editors really really brings to the table. Oh, it's so true. I couldn't do it without them, honestly. Um, I took over from the pilot from Julian Clark, who started it and had prior commitments, so he had to leave early. And we hadn't even finished filming the pilot yet, so... I walked into it, and Anna Yavari was our first assistant on it, and she is just a genius at doing sound design. And sound is such a huge part on Handmaid's Tale. You know, like in the pilot, for example, Alfred's sitting there, and she's got her new posting, and she meets Serena, and she meets Fred for the first time, and she's sort of gripping her hand. And then Anna came up with this super cool sound design where it's pipes rattling and like a wind and a and a sort of rumble as we go to our, one of our first flashbacks of June and Moira and, all, you know, being at the Red Center for the first time. So 
They bring so much to the table. We have a stable of assistants who are just fantastic and work so hard on the show. And as I said, Chris is sort of my partner in crime where I bounce ideas off of and he bounces ideas off of me and we screen each other's episodes and we just make it cohesive and and follow through on certain things that we wouldn't, you know, we have a second hand, but we sometimes have to say, now, would, would June do this or would June say this, like in this way? Do you think I should be in a wide shot here? Is it better in a close-up? So we have lots of screenings, just us, and uh, we try and figure a lot of that out before the director even gets in the room. And then um, usually we um, we have co-screenings with the director, um, the three of us, and we talk ideas through. And the assistants get pulled in, and they get to give their two cents. And it's, it's a real it's a real group effort, absolutely. Yeah, let's talk about your success as the editor, um, you know, including your team here. So last year, you won the Emmy for uh, the first episode of season two, which was June. Uh, now, I know one of the big things I always right. look for uh, when I'm thinking about editing is uh, elements that can be difficult to edit around or control. So when someone comes to you and says, hey, we're going to do this giant rain scene outside, and have all these handmaids holding a rock. Yeah. Uh, what's your what goes through your mind as a, as an editor when you hear that kind of thing? Well, it's interesting. I I read the script ahead of time, so I know it's coming. But um, I'm like, how the hell are they going to pull this off? You know. <laughs> and with the mock hanging at the beginning of the episode, it was like, you know, is that just going to be one big letdown for people? You know, you always wonder how how it's going to all you know translate to the screen and you know we have a a genius director mike barker who just elevates the material always like he really puts 110 percent into it and whenever he's directing i'm like okay no we're okay mike's gonna (laughs) work it out he'll he'll get it because the scripts are so good and it's it's a lot of ask for a director you know it's a lot of ask for a crew some of these scenes and uh when they come together and they're pulled off like that hanging scene, that mock hanging scene, it just was like, wow, you know, this could be in a movie. This is just like unbelievably good. Yeah, it you know it makes my job super easy. I'm sure it does, and that you know speaks again to the importance of having a large, uh, good core overall team, which it sounds like you know you guys definitely have. So this yeah. year, this year you're nominated for also in the second season just because of the way the Emmys work, um, the fu- yeah. finale episode, which was The Word. So tell us a little bit about yeah. that episode and why you think that was one that they uh particularly interested in nominating you for. It's funny. I didn't expect a nomination for that, to be quite honest. I, I was quite shocked um, because it was a controversial episode, and I thought sometimes people can't separate the craft from their feeling about how the story ended. I mean, it, it, in actuality... The season couldn't have ended any other way. June would not leave Gilead without her baby. Um, if anybody's a parent, they would really know that. And even if you're not a parent, um, one would think that, you know, how could you leave your child behind? So it was controversial. The fans were not happy with me with the ending. But I think once I understood why, uh, I think it's okay. But I honestly didn't think I'd get nominated just be, for that very reason. It was a tricky episode to put together. It was uh, um, tons and tons and tons of footage of, you know, the Marthas getting this baby out and through the yards and out and around. 
it was a tough episode to put together. And emotionally, it was tough, too, because we had the loss of Eden and mm-hmm. Rita and June had to tidy up from that. And Serena ends up, spoiler alert, losing her, <laughs> her pinky finger for trying to stand up to these men. And so it was, it was emotionally quite a, quite a roller coaster of an episode, for sure. So I, I was just thankful that it got recognized. And so talk about last year you won for the first time. You're nominated for the second time this year. Did, talk about the differences between winning last year, knowing you were nominated for the first time, and then uh, second nomination, what those, what those feelings are this time around. Oh, I still have a knot in my stomach from the first one. <laughs> um, I just, I didn't even expect it. I mean, just, you know, you, you sit up here in your little room in your bubble and and suddenly someone recognizes your work and, I mean, I, I was lucky enough to be on a show where the work was being looked at. A lot of the times you work on a show and and people don't even really get to see it, but it was, uh, you know, critically acclaimed in the first season. So when I got nominated, I, I honestly couldn't believe it. It was so shocking. And I went to the Emmys quite comfortable thinking I wasn't going to win because I was up against Game of Thrones and I thought that was going to take it, and then when they called my name, I just was like, oh my God, I have to get up there and say something now. But uh, So that was just uh, just incredible, icing on the cake. It was, it was totally unexpected. And then to be nominated again, I thought I just got lucky the first time, and it just... I just feel so blessed. Like I, I just feel so honored that people are liking the work, and... Um, but I, I honestly, truly am, am grateful and just so proud of the team. It's really a team, and, you know, I, I look at it that way every time. Yeah, that's, that, from everyone we talk to, that's, that is uh, a point that's reiterated, that this this is a definite team effort for this show, and it really, really does show. Yes. So we wanted to get your thoughts on the most memorable scenes that came to mind for you uh, from the seasons of the show. And so you came back with three, one from each season. And so I was going to let you run down those. And so the first one you gave us from season one is uh, the third episode of season one, which I always jo- I don't joke about it. But when I tell people who are new to the show, oh, if you can make it past episode three of season one, I promise it will they'll, they'll back off just a little. <laughs> but really, unlike a lot of things that anybody has seen on television and that last scene, which is the one you wanted to talk about where Emily wakes oh. up in the hospital, uh, it was just absolutely incredible and just one of those where you're like oh my god that's really happening on a tv show that i'm watching right now so talk to us about talk to us about editing that from you know just a technical standpoint but then also talk about that when you read that script and what you were feeling as you had to know you had to edit that scene well i I mean i have to say the dailies from that entire episode just almost broke me uh (laughs) i ended up before i get into that specific scene i ended up calling reed on set going I can't believe that you just made me cry watching dailies oh. again. Again. Uh, it was a, it was that, yeah, it was the scene where the Martha gets hung and oh. she does it all in one take. So you're in the van with Emily and the, Mar- you know, her lover and the doors fully open and the Martha gets dragged out and she's put on the noose and hung and then the doors close and she drives away. That's all one take. There's oh. no editing involved in that moment. And, Reed was just unbelievable for doing those kinds of things to me. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, getting to the final scene of episode three, um, it was incredible because we uh, we all knew Alexis Bordell as Rory Gilmore. Mm. And 
for her to break out of her shell and to attempt to do a scene like this, it was the first time she ever cried on camera before. Interesting. And yeah. And Reed, um, had to take her through all of the emotions. So, uh, after she wakes up in the hospital and she looks down and she realizes what happened to her, um, she, then has to sort of go through all of these this gamut of emotions. So I was left watching a almost a, probably a six, seven minute take, one take of Alexis standing there and going through these emotions. But what would happen was Reed would walk in and whisper in her ear and tell her, okay, somebody just killed your cat. So, you know, something to that effect to get her to emote and to change her reaction so that we could, we could literally watch her in a series of shots go from shocked to a little, like what the hell just happened, then to sadness, then to what the hell am I going to do now, and then to utmost anger. And that was the sort of the range of emotions that she had to go through. And that's really hard for an actor to do. So I was left in the cutting room with this one long take. And I was like, now, how am I going to do this? I don't want to cut wide because that's just going to break the whole spell of it all. So I came up with doing jump cuts. And I mean, it wasn't, you know, a genius move. It just, that was really my only thing that I could do to be able to get all these snapshots of, of her emotions all in a row. And so then Reed came in and she was like, oh my God, that's great. And we played with it. And we had this really cool Bjork song to end the season. And then Bjork ended up not giving us the song, The Hunter, because, um, yeah, she, it was her song that she wrote to the record company. And it's a personal song, so she uh, never licenses it. Yeah, but it works so well. <laughs> so we ended up with a, a, another really cool song, uh, Jay Retard. And uh, it, it's a punk song and it works just as well. But, um, yeah, cutting that scene was really, really, really tricky. And just to get the right emotions and the right lengths of the shots. And Reed and I tried a bunch of stuff. And uh, we ended up, I think, in a pretty cool place. Oh, it's such a, uh, such a moving scene, an, an incredible scene. I think a really important scene because I don't know that in a kind of mainstream, you know, now it's mainstream, but not so much when you guys first started, but a show that had so much, you know, exposure and mainstream that that kind of thing had been shown before. Um, and I know even people that I True. knew um, were definitely questioning, like, well, what happened? And I know I talked to a lot of people who had to, like, explain to a lot of people what had just happened. And so I, it, it felt important yeah. and carried so much gravity that it, it was just, you know, one of those moments where you're like, I've not seen, you know, much like that on television before. Did it feel like that when you were, when you were watching it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I had to really, like, second-guess, like, what the hell just happened here? And I had to check the script again. And it's like, oh, yeah, that really just did happen. And it's it's like, you're right, people have to kind of think about it because it's so foreign to us in our in our country. But, you know, as Margaret says, it happens every day in, yep. in, around the world to women. And everything in her book, I mean, it's it's happening and has happened to women and happened to people all over the world since history began. So, yeah, it's it's crazy. And I think that's why it was so heartfelt and so hit you so hard because it was like, wow, that actually can happen. Uh, so yeah. the next one you, you picked for us was uh, second second season 
first episode. So we talked about this a little bit already. Was that first ten minutes of the episode where they're in Fenway Park and they're got them on the gallows like they're going to hang them? Ultimately, they don't. But that that whole opening sequence, you know, where they're you know essentially moving them in like cattle from the trucks that they're in. And talk to me about your first reading of that scene and thinking, oh my god, what are what are we going to do here? And uh, how you ended up you know technically working through that. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I initially thought, and I think the gang thought, that we'd be able to go down and, and film in Fenway, at Fenway. And it ended up we weren't allowed to, or I can't remember what happened. So at the time, it just wasn't going to work with their schedule. So we had to recreate it in a in a baseball field somewhere else. And then the whole thing was just all visual effects. We were allowed to go down and photograph the stadium. And then we, you know, uh, superimposed all the all the bits of Fenway on on green screen and to make it look like Fenway. And they did an absolutely incredible job. But I didn't have that when I started cutting. So it was just in a plain brown, mm. you know, field where they had brought in extra turf and, and it didn't look as haunting and spectacular as it ended up on the screen eventually. But um, yeah, that scene... It was so funny because I, I kept second-guessing myself as I was putting it together, and that's something I thought I had gotten to a place where I could trust my gut and just go with my gut. And I was like, every time I tried to change it, I ended up putting it back where I initially had it. And um, Mike Barker directed that episode, and he came in the cutting room, and he's like, can you add a few more shots of the girls being dragged through the hallways? and and so we did that, and then we'd watch it and be like, no, that's just too much. And, and I had had it in a pretty good sweet spot, and um, every time we tried to screw with it, it just it took away the, the momentum of sitting there holding your breath. Like I found like when I was editing it, I had to remind myself to breathe mm. yep. <laughs> because it was so intense. Yep. Like the scene was so intense. And I just, again, I guess I'm attracted to those scenes where characters are going through a gambit of emotions. So like when June's first in the van, she's hopeful. And then the guy slams the door shut on her and she realizes, oh, maybe this isn't going to be a good outcome. And she sees the bullets rolling on the floor. And then so she goes through all those emotions and then boom, the doors are, are burst open and, and she's dragged out and the muscles put over her mouth. And it just, it, it's really cool to just live it with her. I feel like when I'm editing a scene, I'm sitting in the van with her or I'm like out with the girls being pulled along. I just, I, I try to separate myself uh, from the technical part of what I'm doing and just try and be in the moment and be in the emotion of it all. And what do I want to see when and who do I want to be with and, and what's the scariest way of, of telling this part of the story when they break out into Fenway and then they get dragged up the stairs. So my cutting style changed there. It got more, you know, more jagged and a little quicker and a little more fragmented. And then when we're up at the top and the girls are all standing there, I just drop it back and we just sit there and then we go through all of their sort of emotions where you see the tears in their eyes and we see Alma wet herself and we see one handmaid grab another handmaid's hand. And, and Bruce Miller had said a long time ago that he wanted to use um, a Kate Bush song and that particular song that was used in the scene was a uh, woman's work. And I had seen it in a movie when I was a teenager. Um, she's having my baby with Kevin Bacon. Oh yeah. 
And that song to me worked so well back then. It was just like, okay, no, that song's iconic to that film. We can't reuse that. And I, and actually, I could never listen to that song again because oh. it made me cry. Wow. And so when he said he wanted to try and fit it in The Handmaid's World somewhere, I was like, oh, I don't know, Bruce, I don't know. And then I'm sitting in my cutting room one, late one night, and I thought, oh, man, this song actually might work here. So I pulled it up and put it against the pictures and sat in the cutting room, bawled my eyes out, and I went, well, I think that works. <laughs> <laughs> so I brought I brought uh, the director in and showed him, and he's like, oh, I can't swear. But that, he was just like, oh, my God, that really, really works. So we left it in the director's cut, and it went to Bruce, and he loved it. And Maggie, our music supervisor, loved it. She had me do a slight music edit on it. And, uh, yeah, it just went to the network, loved it. It just lived from that day forward and just sort of, you know, made the scene. Now that for all of the uh, music choices, which I'm a huge music nerd myself. So uh, all the uh, all the eccentric music choices in the show and all the things that you kind of that are kind of left field. That one felt so spot on and was probably one of the was probably one of the more well-received, I think, musical, music, like, pop songs that has been placed. Because I know some of them, people are like, I didn't get that at all. But kind of universally, I think that yeah. song in that moment <laughs> was just, it was fantastic. The scene that you wanted to talk about for uh, season three was episode 13, which is our finale. And this is the particular scene where June is telling Commander Lawrence, uh, and you talked about this, how you, you kind of gravitate towards these scenes where actors are going and characters are going through these range of emotions. This is definitely one of those scenes. Cause so she's sitting at the table and the, uh, commander Lawrence walks in and goes through this whole speech talking about how he's going to cut off the plan. And June has to kind of gather herself. And in this moment where she's talking about, this is her house and she will get these children out. Cool. And, and it just ends on such this powerful moment and this look on her face. So talk about that scene and why, why you, you really gravitate towards that as one of your more memorable scenes. This scene for me is just a masterclass in acting. I think Elizabeth Moss is unbelievable, obviously. Just watching her process in this scene was so magical. I can't tell you. It was all there in the one take. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. She, I think Mike had three takes, and the first take was great. The second take made me cry and made me do all the things that you're supposed to feel. And then the third take was a different take on it, and it was a little drier, less emotional. And I just absolutely picked the second take. And it was just one of those scenes where I felt like I was just watching them, and the mechanics just went away, and I just let them do their thing. It was very little editing required. When the, when there's that good, I don't have to alter or do anything. I just have to cut to whoever's talking next kind of thing. And so that was very memorable for me because it was like, even though it's a, such an incredibly powerful scene, it was very easy to put together just because everything was just so beautifully orchestrated on the day. You know, the camera goes up and over her back and reveals the gun and then she's got her, you know, chin on her hand on the table, and then Lawrence enters. And she's still in a bit of shock, and it's the same kind of thing. You're ready to gravitate towards those scenes. And then she gets sad. Is that going to happen if you put, you know, take Kiki back to Lexington? Is she going to get married off? And it's the same thing going to happen to her that happened to Emily. And, and then she goes through the sort of process of, oh, this Martha died, and now 
you know, I don't have this and I don't have that and this person's too many and she grabs the gun and, and then you really don't know what's going to happen next. Yep. And the choices on the day were super surprising and super satisfying. So when we were down in um, L.A. for the screening of the finale, when she said, uh, no, it's my house now, I mean, everybody just erupted and, <laughs> and clapped. And <laughs> it was, it's, just, it's just a perfect scene. Yeah, it was it, it's a phenomenal scene. No, it was great, and uh, it, it was. I thought that finale in its entirety was one of the more satisfying episodes of this show as a whole. So it was, yeah, it, some great work. Um, one it scene was that long overdue. Yeah, for sure. We needed some. Uh, we, we needed some <laughs> something to lift the spirits of the audience and the show for sure. Absolutely. We're gonna almost wrap up here. I got one thing that I wanted to talk to you about because I remember when I talked to Bruce. Um, one of the questions, and this was mid-season two, I think, I asked him, you know, what has been one of the more challenging scenes for you to shoot? Um, and he said that it was one that he couldn't talk about yet because the episode hadn't come out yet because um, we were a week too soon. Mm-hmm. And so talk to me about editing around a giant room that's lit only by a fireplace while a woman is giving birth. Ah, I did not cut that episode. Oh, Aaron Marshall cut that episode. Okay, see that's a, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, no, he he was in his cutting room for a long time working on that one, and uh, you know we heard uh, Lizzie giving birth over and over and over for days, <laughs> uh, coming out of the holes. So, um, but no, he did a spectacular job on that episode. So I assume you read that script though. So when you saw that script and knew a that you weren't going to have to edit it, <laughs> b that it was going to involve <laughs> yeah. fire and uh, her giving birth, and that was going to be this bulk of this you know exactly. huge scene. What went through your mind when you read that? I just I just didn't know how they were going to do it because you know uh, June was not going to be wearing any clothes for a start. And so Lizzie was wearing the, you know, the sort of pregnancy suit over top um, so that she would have a bit of a belly. And, you know, they really did get a newly born child there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think Lizzie even said it was one of the hardest scenes she ever shot. Um, it was just it was just incredible. I didn't know how they would pull it off. And after everything was said and done and I saw the scene... I was just blown away. I thought they did an incredible job. Yeah, are, are the natural elements like that, like fire and water and things that you just have so little control over when they're actually done practically? I can't even get started on like uh, CGI smoke and fire as a person right. person that you know, likes really good film and editing. Generally speaking, uh, practical effects make for a better look and for a film most of the time. But does that make it harder as an editor to edit around those kinds of things that you just can't control? Oh, that's interesting. There's actually a really cool moment in, um, yeah, if I can just say a, a practical versus, uh, you know, visual effects. Um, the scene in the finale from last season where Aunt Lydia goes over the banister and she gets, she got stabbed by Emily. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mike Barker did an actual practical old school way of, you know, Aunt Lydia's drape of her dress as she goes over the banister, comes and covers the camera, and then the stunt double stands in and covers, you know, starts with the cloth going across the camera and then flips over the banister. So that was all just one edit. 
and wow. it was done practically as opposed to, you know, visually affecting someone, you know, falling over the banister or sewing the pieces together with a visual effect, you know. So, yeah, the practical always works better um, if they get it right. And, you know, Colin and Zoe are so awesome. Um, They're both our directors of photography. And they are so awesome filling the space with, like, smoke and, and giving it sort of that that look and the, and the you know the light that comes through the windows and we very rarely have to touch anything up on the day with those kinds of um, atmosphers and uh, lighting effects. It's all done practical and it just it just makes our show stand out and it it makes our show very different from anything else that's on TV. Even people watching you know movies now they're like oh that was an actual car chase like they actually busted up some cars oh absolutely <laughs> you know as opposed to the effects in car you know like I think I think old school is winning in in, in a way I'm hoping anyway I agree they just they just are more real and they're they're way cooler if you yeah. can pull it off practically that's the way to go another good example for from the Handmaid's Tale is our season premiere that Chris cut and. Uh, you know, we put Yvonne in that room with all that fire. I mean, there was very little CG added anything to that. Really? You know, she stood there with that. Yeah, she stood there with most of that fire going. That makes me so happy. So, and that's why it looks so good. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I'm picturing Yvonne Strahovski, new mother, <laughs> being told that she's going to yeah. stand in a room full of fire. And <laughs> can only no, imagine. exactly. She's just like literally given birth six weeks before that. Oh like, my god! Yeah, she's awesome. That's They're incredible. also awesome. They're such great uh, team players for sure. Well, uh, Wendy yeah. Hallam Martin, thank you for joining us. And uh, as you're saying, and as we've talked to everybody on the show, it just seems like an incredible team and an incredible production. You know that oh, is going you. on there, and it really does show on the screen. With as you were saying, your production just looks different than anything almost that's on television. Yeah. So, oh, thank you. We can't thank you enough for your interest, and uh, we hope the fans keep watching because absolutely really great stuff coming up. Uh, <laughs> we're really excited. Now, is there anything else that you have coming up? Um, have you been working on anything else that you uh, have coming up? Any projects? Um, yeah, I'm going. I'm going on to American Gods. Oh, you know that show? I do know that show. Yeah. Yeah, Very so nice. I'm going to go do that in the meantime, and um, the writing room's open. They, I don't think uh, we'll start production until March. Oh, very cool. Okay. Yeah, they're they're already writing, um, so uh, it's going to take a while to, to arc out the next season, and then we have Margaret Atwood's new book coming along. Absolutely. Uh, the Testament. That'll dictate a lot of what happens in the next season. <laughs> and, um, we'll see where we go with the Testaments, possibly, too. Yes. Yeah, that's that's on the horizon. So I'll be very interested to see what goes on with that, and I will be very interested to see what, what you uh, come up with for American Gods. That's awesome because that is a show that I love yeah, because thanks. watching it, I was like, I have no idea what the hell's going on here, but I love it. I know, I know. <laughs> it's so out there, but it's so different that it makes me happy. I just love those kinds of things. We wish you well and good luck at the uh, Emmys because it's this weekend, right? The Creative Arts Emmys are oh, this weekend. Yes, this Sunday. All right. Well, we'll be pr- we'll be uh, rooting for you. Uh, thanks. I, right. I'm pretty sure Game of Thrones will get it, but ah. thank you. Fun to go. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Wendy Holland Martin, editor for The Handmaid's Tale. Thank you for joining us on Mayday. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye.